Mojo Radio Show News. I say to you, you gotta have mojo, baby. Yeah. News with a difference. Cheating is on the rise in the workplace, and it's a good thing. Who said you had to have all the ideas? No one person has a monopoly on all the world's great ideas. In fact, sometimes the most unlikely people can come up with the goods, and often that's because they don't feel restricted to the usual norms. Ask your partner, friends or family. Start verbalising or get the ball rolling in an open forum. The seed of an idea might come from your discussion and give you the jumpstart you need. Remember, it's always easy to get too close to a project, so putting a fresh head onto the idea might be just what's required. So it's not really cheating. It's just making the most of all available resources. Mind you, Gordon Gecko did say, cheating is good, cheating is right, cheating works. Live from the basement of Voodoo Sound, it's time to get your mojo working. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey everybody and welcome to or welcome back to the show, the Mojo Radio Show. Welcome aboard the Big Red Bus. Now all geared up, it's been serviced over the last few weeks. We are back on the road. A wide variety, a big collection of interesting guests from week to week who share their opinions, their their tips, their tools to help us get our mojo working. Or, in fact, not just us, but maybe we could be of service to somebody else who is going through some tough times to get their mojo working. The crew is all on board. AP, here's one for you, mate. Um, Just a thought in the big red bus. Apparently, across Europe, and a particular story I saw was in Prague, drive-in theatres are being set up. So my thought is that while maybe you could take the big red bus, (laughs) reverse it into a spot somewhere, and we could do a drive-in. Lovely. Um, look, I, might, I don't mind being in the big red bus as long as uh, Jeff doesn't fall asleep on my shoulder during the film. That's all. <laughs> That'd be a cracker. No, actually, you know, I think in Europe you can actually buy a beer in a movie theatre, so that might suit AP down to the ground. Yeah, but I wouldn't give Jeffrey a beer because he'll have his hands on my hot potato before you know where we are. <laughs> I reckon sponsored by Dan Murphy's. Hello, my friends at Dan Murphy. Uh, Lola, welcome to this week's show. Hello, boys. You know what's coming up, Lola, because you've programmed it for us. Uh, tell us, how are you feeling today, Lola? Body and soul, I'm a freak, I'm a freak. Body and soul, Lola, you're far from a freak. a freak. That sort of gives away the gives away the topic for this week. Robbo's Remarkable Facts. Let's go. Remarkable Fact Time. Speaking of freaks, at one stage or another, we've probably all used the phrase freak show. In fact, it's probably one of the best descriptions of this podcast. But whilst the real thing was actually once a massive moneymaker in the US, they fell out of favour because they effectively took advantage of people who were born with disabilities. But there were actually people who made a fortune from their, shall we say, uniqueness. Betty Lou Williams was one of them. She was born in Georgia in 1932 with a parasitic twin which means that you actually have a twin growing inside you effectively. The twin's head was embedded in her abdomen and she also had the twin's legs and partially developed arms. Now, having been born into a poor farming family where she was the youngest of 12 children, believe it or not, her parents must have been exhausted, it was little wonder that one-year-old Betty Lou was discovered by a showman. Her family agreed to allow her to be exhibited in the freak show. A year later, at the age of two, she was discovered by the famous Ripley from Ripley's Believe It or Not 
and her life, as well as the lives of her family, were changed forever. She was earning $250 a week at a time when most people earned about $30 a week. By the time she was in her teens, she was earning over $1,000 a week. Now, instead of wasting her income on frivolous things, she bought her parents a 260-acre ranch and also paid for the college education of all 11 of her siblings. So it just goes to show there's nothing wrong with being a freak. La freak is chic, obviously. She did well. She did do well, didn't she? Who was who was that, AP? Who did La freak? Say chic. Chic with... Um Oh, Neil Rogers. Oh, Niall Rogers. Rogers. It was too, wasn't it? Yeah, Niall Rogers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, wow, there you go. See, yeah. being a freak can work. I mean, Silverchair, there's another one. They made lots of money out of being a freak. Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't made much out of being a freak. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Oh, thank God. All right, this is a quick pop quiz. This is actually not really a pop quiz, but this is just an interesting bit that just shows where... The music industry is going to tell me which band is this. Uh, sounds to me like someone trying to be ACDC. So that is YouTuber Funk Turkey. All right, okay. Who has created a song, which you'll find easily on YouTube, called Great Balls. And he put all of ACDC's lyrics through modelling software, which then analysed all the words across their whole back catalogue, picked out the most popular ones... And the lyrics were generated using lyrics.rip. And then this guy put instrumentation and vocals over the track. So you'll find it online quite easily. And it's ai.dc. And I just think it's fascinating that that track was basically created by artificial intelligence. And it sounds, I reckon most people would go, it's Akadaka, yet those lyrics and stuff are created by uh, artificial intelligence. So goodness knows where it's going to. Yeah, I think it's clever, but I don't know that too many songwriters and many serious songwriters anyway would uh, put too much credence in a computer writing their lyrics for them. The Mojo Radio Show. Our guest this week, uh, many thanks to our good friend Ben Baker, one of our Canadian, in fact, he's one of Canada's leading business coaches, a former guest of our show. He's become a really good mate and he's been kind enough to intro us to a lot of people. And... Today's guest, David Rendell, is a speaker. He's a leadership professor, which I don't think we've actually had a leadership professor before on the show, a stand-up comic uh, and a very good endurance athlete. He built his career helping people embrace what makes them kind of unique or what makes them a freak. And he's doing this with clients like Microsoft and AT&T, the US Air Force, like a pretty silver-lined list of clients he's working with. He's done four books, one of which we'll talk about today, The Freak Factor, and we might get to The Pink Goldfish, his latest book. He he essentially helps companies raise productivity, engagement, and happiness. And his whole premise is we should stop aiming for status quo and instead look at ourselves and unleash our own full potential, which can come by identifying your weakness. And what's ironic is that 
Benno's wrote to me and said, hey, this guy would be really good. Would you like an introduction? At the same week, I heard another former guest of ours, Robert Glazer from the Elevate podcast, one of my faves. He interviewed David. And what I found absolutely fascinating is that he talked about his own journey and how children today are encouraged not to look at their weaknesses and in a lot of cases are chastised because of their weaknesses And those weaknesses or shortcomings can actually become a ticket to their future by becoming an actual strength. That's why when I got, I heard David and then got the introduction from Ben, I was really looking forward to spending some time. So David, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thanks for having me on here. You guys are making me making me work on Memorial Day in the United States. It's a holiday over here, so that's how much I care about you guys that I'm going (laughs) to participate on on a holiday. I should be I should be barbecuing outside, but instead of sitting indoors. Oh, you're an honorary call with you guys. You're an honorary Aussie then barbecuing. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So say somebody walks up to you at a barbecue who doesn't know you and asks you what you do. How do you like to reply? Uh, I tell them I'm a professional speaker. I teach people that. Um, I tell people a story that I was always in trouble because I couldn't sit still, be quiet, and do what I was told. And now I get paid to stand up and talk and run my own business. And so I discovered that my weaknesses were strengths and that everybody has weaknesses that are strengths. And if we understand that the things we're trying to fix about ourselves and others um, are actually the things we should be amplifying about ourselves and others, it would change our parenting, our marriage, our business, our career, our happiness, and pretty much everything. And then we kind of go from there. If I take you back in college, you had the nickname The Freak. Now, that can be taken as a positive or it can be taken as a negative because you go, man, that guy's a freak or, man, you're a freak. Is that one of the reasons the word resonates with you because your book is called The Freak Factor? Is that why that word stuck with you and meant something to you? Absolutely. You can, If you call somebody a neat freak or a clean freak um, or a control freak, you're criticizing them. You're, you're telling them they're too much or they're not enough of something and they should be less or be more or find the right balance. And you're, you're trying to shame them into changing and you're trying to criticize them into uh, doing things in a way that you think is more appropriate. And yet if uh, someone's an athlete and we call them a freak, you're saying that they're unusually gifted and talented. And so, yeah, it's a word with two connotations. And that's what I'm trying to communicate about our characteristics, that any seemingly negative quality we have has a corresponding positive quality. Um, And so that idea of a freak is kind of a perfect perfect way to describe that. What I want people to do by the end of reading the book or hearing the speech is if somebody says, you're a freak, you say, thank you, regardless of how they intended it, right? Regardless of how they intended Mm. it. Um, because you you appreciate and value that that part of who you are, and you're not going to let uh, external assessment of that quality determine your behavior anymore. Tava, you studied psychology, and you said you studied psychology due to some childhood challenges. What what sort of challenges did you actually face as a kid that would lead you to want to study it and find out more about psychology? Yeah, so my best my best friend was was killed in a hunting accident on uh, New Year's Eve when I was 16 years old, and he was killed by my, my one of my other friends. 
Um, and, and I went to a very small school. We probably had a graduating class in high school of about 35 people. And so everybody knew everybody. And um, I mean, it was, it was devastating. It was devastating to me personally, but it was devastating to the group to have someone else in the group to have accidentally done that. And he's experiencing guilt and people are experiencing anger and sadness and disbelief. And, and so you're just surrounded by, you know, more at least external devastation than you normally would be in a high school setting. Most of the time people are talking about girls or guys or music or movies or whatever. And instead everybody was, was dealing with this profound grief and people were just more, um, well, they were less superficial and, and more, more, more real and vulnerable than probably your traditional 16 year olds would be, especially on mass. Um, and so I just, I, I went from seeing my childhood because of a lack of money as kind of really impoverished to seeing my childhood as really positive in the sense that I felt like I had a family that loved me and, and that I had a certain foundation to stand on and that I had more, um, going for me during this, that bad time than some other people did. And that I was in a place to try to help and support and encourage people who were struggling. Yeah. And so I wondered how I might kind of do that as, as a life. Um, because up until that point, you know, I wasn't, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have a purpose and it was, it was one of the reasons I struggled in school. I, I had an argument with the school principal once I was like, Hey, you know, you want me to study and get good grades and you think I should care more, but uh, you know, all I'm sure all you're trying to get me to do is get good grades so I can get into a good school so I can get a good job so I can get married and have kids and help them get good grades in school so they can get good into a good college and get a good job so they can get married and have kids and help their kids. And I'm like, I don't see the, I don't see the point. You know, I don't, I'm not into it. I don't, I don't have, you know, any interest in just, you know, that endless cycle. Um, so I'm not too concerned about it. And, and this really changed that for me and gave me kind of something to study and learn and do for a career that would be beyond just perpetuating my own kind of, my own family and, 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 and running everyone through the same cycle. See that the moment of having that conversation is interesting because you would have to have a degree of confidence and trust in yourself to even vocalize that to your principal. But I've heard you say you didn't, you didn't trust yourself as a student. What was the moment when, do you remember, remember a moment when you started to trust yourself? Like when you decided that, I'm going to run my own race? Um, well, I didn't trust myself because everybody told me that I couldn't trust myself, right? And that everybody told me that I you know, had qualities that were going to be detrimental to my future success. I said those things, but I said them in defiance. And I didn't say them at the time because I had a better plan. So it wasn't that I had confidence. Um, it was that I was lost, right? I was confused. I had a lack of purpose. I, I wasn't... Um, I wasn't into the uh, system that was in place, but I didn't have a good alternative. Um, so, yeah, that's a good question. When did I start having that that confidence? Um, you know, I think some of it developed from sports. I knew that when I was on the basketball court, um, I was good at what I did. I knew that I was somewhat in control of what I was doing. I knew that I could succeed in certain ways. But even that, 
it didn't affect my confidence in other areas kind of because I assumed it was just a game. I assumed it was just play. I assumed anybody, you know, that the lessons I I was learning or the things I was doing weren't, weren't, wouldn't carry over to normal life. Um, Mm. And it wasn't until later that I saw that wasn't true. I tried harder. I cared more. I practiced more on my own. I committed more to it. I, I, I went to practices and skipped family vacations. I thought just everybody would do that because it was fun, but everybody didn't see it the same way and everybody wasn't driven the same way that I was. So I, I don't know the exact point. It, it took a long time. I think there was a turning point in college where uh, it didn't all happen right then, but I had a resident director who came up to me uh, in the men's in the men's dorm and said, you know, are you going to apply to be a resident assistant next year? Um you know, and be a student, you know, support for the other, you know, the other students in the dorm. And I said, you know, no, because I'm the reason you have resident assistants, right? You don't put, you know, prisoners in charge of the prison. Um, and he said something that really kind of, you know, blew me away. He said, you know, no, you know, I see your your seemingly negative qualities as positive qualities, as leadership qualities. I see a lot of myself in you. And I was criticized for a lot of the same things and I've turned out well. And I think, you know, you have that same potential. Um, And he just was the first person to see me differently. He was the first person to see, you know, strength where everyone else saw weakness. And I didn't frame it that way at the time, but I think that was one of the turning points that, that got me thinking I could have a different kind of a future than, um, you know, than a lot of people had predicted for me. And that maybe the the person that other people saw so negatively wasn't as negative as as I'd been told. See, I think this is such a profound piece of gold, David, because, you know, it's funny when, when you talk to people, everybody can remember one teacher who was that, that person, guy or girl who saw something in them, who just said something or treated them differently. Everyone's got that one no matter how old you are, we can remember back to one school teacher. And I'm just curious, because you speak to so many people about this and you get comments after your speeches or you get feedback on your books, what what do you think it was that that, that teacher saw? He said, I can see something that others aren't seeing. If you were to communicate to a parent or a school teacher or a footy coach, what do you think that piece of gold is there that somebody can bring? Because there are children all over the world right now who are craving this right at this minute. What's that, what's that thing that we could share to go, this is what we should all be thinking about. Here's what that person saw, felt, or heard that could make a difference in a child's life. Well, what he saw was he saw, you know, he saw strength where everyone else saw weakness. He saw bad where everyone else saw good. He saw the same thing. Um, but he saw past the surface. And so one of the activities I do in my speeches is I tell a story about my youngest daughter and how, you know, she told me that at age four, she told my wife and I that she hated us and wishes she had a different family. And I talk about her propensity for lying and dishonesty and how frustrating it is to deal with her. But before I tell the story, I ask people to listen for the strength while I talk about the weakness. I say, I'm going to only give you negative information here. And I, 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 
I tell them they're probably going to think I'm a bad father by the time I'm done because the story is going to be so negative and, and so completely devoid of even uh, an apology for any of the negatives or any hint at what might be positive. And then when I finish in crowds of even, you know, a small number of people and even even now during this global pandemic, uh, you know, even over over Zoom or something like that, where people have the answer, the opportunity to type in answers over chat. People very quickly say, oh, wow, your daughter's creative. Oh, wow, she stands up for herself. Oh, wow, she's very assertive. Oh, wow, she has a strong sense of confidence. Oh, wow, you know, and, and it just keeps coming. And then I stop them and say, look, when I told you there was strength hiding inside of weakness, you found it in an instant, but we don't do that. When we see weakness in our kids and employees and ourselves, especially in our spouses or our partners, the people we live with, we don't ask, I wonder what the other you know, what the strength is, we ask, I wonder what else is wrong with them. You know, now I've found it. I've found, I've found this, this negative and I bet it's just the tip of the iceberg and I bet there's a whole lot more underneath it. And so I also teach them that it means that they have that capacity that without any kind of training, they were able to do that just by thinking that it, that it was true. And so that's what I challenge people to do. And, and I have an assessment that helps them do it where it shows, you know, puts weaknesses right next to their corresponding strengths and gives people the chance to kind of test it out on a larger scale. And so, yeah, yeah that's exactly what I want them to do is I want them to be a teacher, to be a manager, to be a parent who, when confronted with even obvious and really potentially devastating weakness can go, oh, Yep, but there's another side to this story, and I'm going to focus on that as well. And I'm not going to get, you know, drug into the mindset that this negative is only negative, and, and that there's no upside to it. I'm gonna I'm gonna see farther than most people see because it's easy. I used to help people with disabilities get jobs, and it's easy to see what's wrong with a person with a diagnosed disability. I mean, it's written down on lots of sheets of paper. Um, and endless reports. Um, it's hard to be a person who looks at that person with a disability and sees not only beyond the disability, but maybe sees inside of the disability a potential that no one else has seen. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's what I want people to do, to see people through new eyes. And when confronted with, you know, seemingly obvious um, weakness, to be a person who sees strength when no one else really does. You know, I think this is gold. That's gold. If, if you went to a parent-teacher night <laughs> and the parents – Sit there, the teacher downloads about the student, the child, daughter or son, if you're fortunate enough to have a child, and the parent's not there. Do you have any questions? The parent's, no, that's no, all good. And the, all the parents want to hear is, how's my child doing well? And <laughs> wouldn't it be a dichotomy to sit there and say to the teacher, where are my, my child's deficiencies? Where are the weaknesses? Where are they falling short? What are the negatives? to download those, then to say, now with that negative, what do you find to be the greatest strength? And to strip it back around, because I find that really profound, because that absolute conversation, if it was conscious enough in your mind to always listen for the strength, and I think the thing that got me was, while you, while I tell you the negatives, listen for the strengths. But once you do that to an audience or to us, we do it, because as soon as you tell us how to tell the story, I did the same thing. I think that's a really fantastic tool to use just to explore it. Now, it's going to embarrass the heck out of your child, don't get me wrong, but still, and it's almost you could do the same thing in a company, David, because companies tend, I would suspect, go, this person has got a negative as a salesperson or an accounts person, 
but rarely would we do that. We say, while I tell, tell, listen for the strengths while I tell you the negatives. That's that's a really interesting dichotomy, isn't it? Yeah, and it happens. You know, it happens not just in the way we see people, but also in the way we we treat them. We we try to fix that salesperson's weakness, or as you said, then we might we might release them. Uh, we and we do it in school. We want to fix that kid's weakness, and that's what the parent teacher conference is probably about. And so we put all this time and energy and effort because the way we see people determines the way we treat people. And so I'm not just trying to get people to see each other differently. I want them to behave differently, but I don't need to kind of push the behaviors. I want to outline them, but people naturally, um, you know, behave differently towards people that they see and understand differently. And so a big part of what I'm trying to do is get people to stop putting so much time, energy, and effort into fixing weaknesses in themselves and others, thinking they're helping that other person to get better and instead recognize that that weakness is a clue to the strength and that strength is what should be enhanced and, and increased and that that weakness will always be there, but it doesn't have to be especially relevant. And I think that's another key thing as well is asking not just, you know, what's wrong with the person, but also when the person is succeeding, where are they? What are they doing? What is that environment like? And how do we create environments that help students to succeed, that help employees to succeed? Um, because my belief is, and I just did a, a TEDx talk about this in Zurich last year, that in the right situation, our weaknesses become strengths. So that the, 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 the both sides of the quality are, are always there. And in, if we find the right situation, the weakness becomes invisible and sort of irrelevant and the strength becomes really, really visible and really, really valuable. And so it's not so much about changing people, it's about changing situations and helping, you know, the, the best teachers help students find the situations that put the spotlight on their strengths. They help them find the classes and the subject. When I studied, when I discovered psychology, it put the spotlight on uh, my strengths it put the spotlight on the best things about me. When I studied leadership, when I took on leadership positions, when I started a business, when I became a speaker, all of those situations blind people to my weaknesses because my strengths are the only thing that really matter and they really come to the forefront. And I'm not required to do those things. I'm not required to sit still. I'm not required to be quiet. I'm not required to do what I'm told and follow instructions. And so people are unaware of my weaknesses um, because I'm in a situation where they're irrelevant and the corresponding strength is all that really matters. And and again, we're not going to do that either if we think that fixing the person's weakness is is the most important thing in order to be successful, in order for them to be successful. So if we can change those beliefs that we have about people's deficiencies, then we can start changing those behaviors that are really counterproductive and don't lead people to greater success. Man, there's so much to unpack here. This This seems in an organization and or I guess the same principle in a family – it seems like a leadership issue, David, with what you're saying to turn well, it's actually it's actually being aware of it or observing the fact that a potential weakness could become, in your terms, a freakness. In a leadership situation of somebody who runs a company, a group, an association, and they are basically the head of that organization trying to drive and lead an organization, what's the what's the the core approach? the leader should have to bring this to an organization? Well, one of the, one of the quotes that I, that I share every time I do the talk and, and the talk obviously has to be a condensed version of the book. So it's, it's the, the, the pieces that I want people to, to focus on that I think, you know, are, 
are the most important is there's a quote from Peter Drucker that says organizations exist to make people's strengths effective and their weaknesses irrelevant. And so my challenge to leaders is to be a leader who who creates organiz- an organization that makes people's strengths effective and their weaknesses irrelevant, regardless of the product or the service. Do they have an organization where, first and foremost, their strengths are made effective and their weaknesses are relevant? If you're not doing it in your own work and in your own career, you can't model that and, and create that for others. And, and are they doing that for others? Are they setting up a place where what people can't do doesn't matter and where what people can do um, is 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 primary um and 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 the answer in most places is 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 no they're not doing that and so that's that's i think the challenge for leaders is to to believe that that's possible and to believe that's their job whereas i think a lot of leaders if if you ask them would say their job is to find what's wrong with people and fix it to find the gaps in people's abilities and and to remedy that to give people quote unquote constructive feedback or constructive criticism to make them better. And and that is their goal. And that's what I teach people is, you know, my parents, my teachers, my employers, and most parents, teachers, employers have the right intentions. They're trying to make people better. They're trying to help. They care about people's futures, but they have the wrong framework. Uh, They have the wrong mindset about how to do that. And so I don't need leaders to change their intentions. Most of them are trying to help people get better. They're trying to get better on their own. They just believe that the way they do that is to be relentlessly focused on you know, looking for problems in their organization, looking for problems in people, looking for problems in the external environment and, and fixing those problems instead of asking what's working and how do I build on that? What are people good at and how do I give them more of that? Um, they would say, oh, well, then that person isn't being pushed out of their comfort zone. That person isn't growing. Uh, but that's ridiculous. You can absolutely grow uh, in an area where you're already strong. You can always be better. So are you going to be better in areas where you already have some talent and ability and interest? Or are you going to be better in areas where you don't have talent, ability, and interest? Which would be the most valuable? In which case would the person improve the most? At which point would the person be happiest and deliver the most to your organization? Um, so I think we just we we we've been taught at home, at school, and at work for so long by pretty much everyone that um, that fixing weaknesses makes people successful. That that we just take that without questioning it into adult life, and and it just keeps being perpetuated. Um, I mean, I even studied psychology in college and in graduate school for six years, and the concept of positive psychology was never even a paragraph in one of the textbooks. Um, even though it's been around since since the 70s. And so it certainly isn't a part of the mindset that you know most people have been exposed to in their education or in their work. And I'm, I'm still surprised at how few people have heard even a hint of the idea that building on strengths would make people more, more successful and, and happy and fulfilled than fixing weaknesses. I want to camp there just for a second, because there's a couple of things that come to mind with where you've led us is your parents, you mentioned parents, your parents called you a motor mouth. And was that kind of a flippant thing they did, David? Was that just a smart ass comment from time to time? Was it a nickname or how, how did they, because it's something you talk about and it was an important part of your belief system back then that you had to make a change on. So I'm interested a bit how, when you remember how that was embedded into your belief system, and then how that could have created your identity. Because if you talk about positive psychology, 
We've got to be careful about that identity we embed into our children or the people around us. But motor mouth could have been a negative part of an identity, but then you were able to find a way to turn that around to be a positive to create your career now. What do you remember about that part where you had that motor mouth part in your belief system? Well, I mean, it was just, it, it just, it was just a negative. It was an, an un, you know, an unalloyed <laughs> negative. I mean, you, you talking too much at school is a problem. Talking too much in the car is a problem. Talking too much at dinner is a problem. Talking during church is a problem. Um, you know, it, there was no upside. It wasn't like, um, you know, we've talked about situations. There was, it, it was always, this isn't the time or the place. But the thing is, as a child, there never was a time or a place, right? There never was a stage. There never was an opportunity. And so it was just a negative. It, it wasn't like, you know, just wait until five o'clock tonight or just wait until the weekend and we have this thing that you could do. Or, you know, let's talk about situations where talking a lot could be, there could be an upside. There was no person in my life who was, you know, I, I laugh about it now, but it's not funny. Who was who was insightful enough to go? Wait a second, this kid talks a lot. What you know, he could be a speaker. I mean, it's 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 a it's a synonym. It's a thesaurus activity. It doesn't even require deep study. You know uh, what? You know, there was a lady I was speaking in in St. Louis, in Missouri, one time, and uh, in the U.S. and she. Uh, heard me speak and wanted to talk to me afterwards. And her her son is always in trouble at school for talking too much. And she was inspired by my speech because she said, hey, Dave, you know, I got so tired of being called into the office to talk to the principal and the teachers. I said, yep, my son talks too much. Maybe he'll be a talk show host someday. Let's move on. You know, I mean, she was immediately able to frame a situation in which his ability to speak incessantly would be tremendously positive. So there is hope for his future. So let's move on to other concerns. Why do we keep talking? It, it, it would it would have been like uh, if they would have kept pulling me into the office in high school because I was getting so tall. The difference is, as I got taller, it made me better and better at basketball and gave me more of an advantage at basketball. So no one complained about my height. And no one thought I should fix it because there was a place where I could use it, right? And this is crucial, and it goes all the way back to the beginning. A lot of qualities are seen as negatives, not because there's something wrong with them, but because they're in the wrong spot, they're in the wrong place, and no one can think of what would be a good use of this. In what situation would this be useful? This is a bad quality. And bad qualities are only those qualities that aren't useful or valuable in some way. Uh, a great example of this, I read this this book uh, years ago called The Tall Book, and it was written by a very tall woman. And for years, they would even inject women with hormones um, when they were getting too tall around the time of puberty to try to keep them from being too tall. Because what good is it to be a tall woman? Then you're not going to be able to find a husband, and then, then you're not going to be able to have kids, and you're not going to be able to have a full life because no one wants a tall woman. And part of the thing that changed that, there was a whole you know, host of societal attitudes that changed, but one of the big ones was women in sports. As soon as women's participation in sports started to increase dramatically, people could envision a situation in which it was advantageous to be a tall woman, and they would stop saying, oh, you'll never have a husband, and start saying, you'd be good at basketball. You'd be good at volleyball. 
you'd be good at rowing. You would be an excellent swimmer. And that's what the author actually said is she said, I always felt terrible about being, you know, a full head taller than everyone in my class for my entire life until I stood on the block at the swimming pool at the swim meet for the first time. And my height finally had a purpose. There was finally a place for who I was and it was valuable as opposed to worthless. And that changed things. And so it's our ability to imagine situations um, and discover situations, and in some cases, create situations that, that take seemingly negative qualities and make them not just you know somewhat useful strengths, but powerful, powerful strengths. I mean, I, I don't like to overstate it on, on my side of the story when I do my speeches, because if this is just my story, then it doesn't matter to other people. But you know, just to talk about today, it's it's we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and I've been asked to be on a podcast with people on the other side of the world. Um, I'm still being asked to talk in a situation where we can't have live events. I'm doing webinars and I'm doing virtual keynotes. It's a holiday here in the United States, and yet I'm on you know Skype and I'm talking to someone on the other side of the world about this concept. People were so afraid that my propensity to talk a lot was going to make me a total failure. And yet here I am doing it on a holiday with, with people who, you know, 30 years ago, I probably never could have come in contact with without the internet. And, but nobody was able to anticipate that. So then I couldn't anticipate that. And so I agreed with everyone that I was probably going to end up being a failure. So the, we not only have to see people's weaknesses as strengths, know there's another side to the story, Part of the trick to being able to do that is being able to imagine environments. One, one example I give in my talk is a, a man named Thorkill Son who started a software testing company because he saw that software testing required hyper-focus and doing the same thing over and over again. And he saw his son with autism um, you know, going to therapy where they tried to stop him from hyper-focusing and doing the same thing over and over again because that was weird and abnormal and incorrect and not the way regular society behaves. And so it's something that needed to be trained out of a person with autism. And he said, well, wait a second. No, that's a super valuable quality in software testing. And he, he built a company where he hires people with autism because their supposed symptoms are a competitive advantage inside of his company. And so that's not just finding the right fit or discovering the right fit. That's being willing to create the right fit for someone when everyone else just sees them as damaged. Um, and no one even questions it. I mean, when you have systems in place to provide people therapy simply because they're abnormal, um, who's to say when you focused on something too long? Who's to say when you've done something too repetitively? Um, who's to say you know, how many times before it's a problem? Um, but we love to do that. We, and that's why it, that's the other reason why I called the book, the freak factor. I focus mostly on weaknesses and strengths, but it's one of the reasons we define things as weakness is because we tend to define people's uniqueness as weakness. We tend to define simply the act of being different as a problem. And then we start giving, because it, at least in polite society, you can't tell anybody that their difference is bad anymore um, because we know we can't do that. So we, we disguise it. We say it's ineffective. It's inappropriate. It's unprofessional. We, we put some other label on it because we know that, that at least out loud or if we're being recorded, we can't say you're different and that's bad. 
And yet we still have those beliefs. So we try to, we try to prop them up with other evidence about how it's not going to be valuable to be that way at work or at school um, or in society in general. And so I, I think that's really dangerous. And, and we do that a lot with people with, with what we call mental health issues, which sometimes a mental health issue is ADHD. And the mental health issue is that the person's very active. Well, I've run two 100-mile races, two 170-kilometer uh, races on my own uh, during this global pandemic on sh short loops in my neighborhood. Um, and nobody calls it a, a mental health crisis. In fact, they say, wow, I wonder where I could get some of that motivation. Uh, so people praise me and reward me today for the fact that I do Ironman triathlons and ultramarathons. And yet my whole childhood, I was criticized for being too active and, and called hyperactive and, 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 and pathologized with, with ADHD. And so I think we, we, we have these systems in place that, that discourage people from being themselves and define very narrowly what good is. And what, part of what I'm trying to do is broaden the definition of what good is. Um, and, and I think that's one of the problems that we have as well. I, I don't know that anyone, that I think very few people in schools, very few teachers, very few managers of corporations, very few parents are deliberately trying to demoralize other people. I think we we all participate in larger systems, school systems, corporate systems, political systems that have so much inertia that we just assume it's that way because it should be that way. And that's probably the right way. And there's no changing it, even if it isn't. But it, it, it's like it's like the air we breathe. It's it's so ubiquitous that, that we can't see around it. And so I'm trying to get people to challenge that a little bit and question that a little bit and wonder about that a little bit and see if we can't start changing it and doing things a little bit differently. It's interesting that comment you said, we can't see around it. And I sometimes wonder whether we don't see it in ourselves because during that that response, you talked about focus and you will talk to some people who will discuss their children and or themselves and say, oh, man, I can't focus. I'm really having a hard time focusing. Yeah. Yet they can spend two, three, four hours in World of Warcraft, lose themselves with people all in this false world, absolutely dialed into what they're doing. Yet yeah. it, it seems to be a bit of a challenge, David, that we, we sometimes can't see it. We talk about others, but then we can't see it in ourselves. That must be one of the biggest challenges yeah. with the work you do is getting us to see inside ourselves as well as seeing it in those around us. Yeah, because, you know, when George Eliot said, we begin to believe what the world believes about us. And if people tell you loud enough and long enough and often enough certain things about yourself, as you said earlier, you start to establish an identity based on that. And so I'm trying to give people the a different identity or at least the potential to pursue a different identity or create or build a different identity. Um, that's the other reason why I think it's an important piece. The weakness piece is important because there's plenty of people saying, build on your strengths. I think the problem is we can't see some of our strengths because they look like weaknesses. So if you ask most people, not everyone, but if you ask most people to list their strengths and weaknesses, most people will have a bigger pile of weaknesses because life is just better at telling you those things than it is at telling you telling you the other things. And so I, I, I want people to be able to connect 
the weaknesses they think they have with the strengths that they think they have um, because then they don't seem separate. Because when they're separate, why wouldn't I want to fix it? Why wouldn't I want to do something about it? Why wouldn't I be better if I repaired this somehow? But if I can combine the, the, the weaknesses I know I have with strengths that I might have or have occasionally been told I have, if I can reframe people's criticism of me as really reinforcing a positive quality that I have, and I can see that as a unified thing, now I think I can move forward more confidently because I know what my weaknesses are, but I don't. I know they don't have to be fatal. And I know that there's another side of the story, um, but I'm also not throwing out everything I thought I knew about myself. See, I'm not here on your show telling you, and then I discovered there's no limits and that I could be whatever I wanted to be and that there was nothing wrong with me and that I was born perfect and so are you and your employees are perfect and your kids are perfect and your spouse is, is wonderful and you should be constantly pleased by everything that they do. No, I have weaknesses. Um, I have limits. I have, I have things that I don't like and I'm not very good at. Um, and, and that's okay. And I think that's the other thing I want people to get to is saying that, yeah, that's just, that's just life. That's the way it has to be. There's no fixing that. There's no, there's no way around that. I can't be tall and short at the same time. Um, and the taller I get, the less short I am. It's not always about balance and, and being well-rounded and finding the perfect middle. It's about going to those extremes sometimes and, and being a person who has a lot of some things that are really good and, and being someone who's missing some things that are also good, but just aren't, aren't you and, and just won't be you. And, and it doesn't have to be you. And being able to be comfortable with that and move forward with a life like that, that's part of what I'm trying to help people do and see. This is very interesting. And I want to, there's, there's a sweet spot here somewhere that I want to see if you can articulate for me. Now, a book that changed your world, that made a big profound difference in your development was a book called Now Discover Your Strengths by Marcus Buckingham and Donald O. Clifton back in the day. Now, this is a book that I bought back in 2001, 2002 and sits in my bookcase with my favourite books that I read again and again each year, year in, year out. That book talks about a way that you can go through and discover your strengths. And rather than just focus on weaknesses, actually know your strengths and focus your energy there. That was a turning point in your career. And as we sit here today, that book impacted you. But we're also saying if we do have self, self, an identity around our weaknesses and or we can see it in someone else, whether our kids or our workmates, we could lean into that because there could be a strength within that weakness. Where's that real sweet spot? Because there seems to be a dichotomy between those two things. No, I mean, there is, there's no dichotomy at all. And I think that's the key to see that is that that quality. Let's, let's use a, the easiest example of this to share with people quickly is, um, you know, I, I designed an assessment um, because that was people's biggest question. What, what's good about this bad thing about me? You know, okay, I liked your talk. Um, but before I had the book, you know, what's good about this bad thing about me? Help me find the strength hiding inside of this weakness or this weakness of my child. And so I, you, you, I just have people pick from a list of 52 strengths and pick their top five and pick from a list of 52 weaknesses and pick their top five. And then I show them on the last page how 
those qualities are probably the same quality, just defined differently. So the simplest example is somebody picks their strength. So let's say on StrengthsFinder, they know their strength is something around persistence and perseverance and kind of sticking with things. And so when they do my assessment, they do that. They, okay, yep, one of my top five is persistence. And then they go to the weaknesses page and they look and they look and they go, oh yeah, my whole life I got my parents telling me I'm stubborn. I got my, my, my bosses telling me I'm stubborn. I got my spouse or my partner telling me I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn. That's one of my problems. And, and at this point in their life, they still see those as independent qualities. And then they go to the last page and they go, oh yeah, well, stubborn is, is a, 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 a negative way to describe a quality. Persistence is a positive way to describe this is crucial. That same quality persistence is sticking with things longer than most people think is reasonable. What is stubbornness? It's sticking with things longer than most people think is reasonable. Um, you can't be more, more persistent and less stubborn at the same time. And so one of the things that I think keeps some people, not all, but keeps some people from implementing the very good counsel of StrengthsFinder and the Strengths Movement and positive psychology is what do I do about these weaknesses? And if I can't see a way to integrate the weakness into my strength building life, I, I, I keep feeling like, well, yeah, it's, I mean, we've all been taught the Achilles heel and you're only as strong as your weakest link and, and all these kinds of things. And, and so people are hesitant to just build on strengths because they feel like the weaknesses have to be dealt with somehow. And what I try to show them is they are, they're already being dealt with. When you build on your strengths, it will cause some people to see and I try to prepare them for that. It will cause some people to see the weakness even more clearly and to criticize you more loudly. And, and that's why the subtitle of my book is, is, is Discovering Uniqueness by Flaunting Weakness. Flaunting means to parade without shame. It means to be unapologetic. And I think the way people try to change us and stop us from building on our strengths and being more of ourselves is by trying to shame us into conformity and into following their idea. And that, their, that idea is always different depending on the person and their position, but their idea of what good is. And so then we stop building on our strengths because we think, well, I have to be reasonable and I can't go too far with this strength or it can become a problem. And I probably should moderate this quality. You, can, you, you, you don't want too much of a good thing or it becomes a bad thing. And all, we have all these beliefs around that. And so I'm trying to help people um, feel more comfortable building exclusively on their strengths, knowing the weakness will not only always be there, but will even become more visible as they become more committed to those strengths and to see that they couldn't possibly fix it, that all they would do by trying to fix the weakness would be to trade off their current weaknesses for some other weakness strength combination. Um, we talked about focus earlier. So let's say somebody can't focus and, 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 and they go to coaching and they get therapy and they read books and they get hyper-focused. They just get really focused. They get really good at just getting laser-focused in everything that they do. Well, what's a criticism they're probably going to start hearing? They're going to hear that they got blind spots and that they're missing things around the periphery and they're not open-minded to enough different ideas and that they're missing opportunities because they're so focused on what they want and where they're going that they don't see things right on the edges. And it's, people are going to tell them they should look up, that they should broaden their view and broaden their scope. And if they broaden their view and broaden their scope, by the very definition, they become less focused. It's like 
It's like a beam of a flashlight in the dark. When you focus it, it's great at, at showing you exactly what it's pointed at, but it doesn't help you see anything else around. And if you, if you open it up to show you a wider view, it helps you to see more, but it doesn't help you see it as clearly because it can't. It can't do both of those things at the same time. And so when we're becoming more focused, that's great, but we're not getting better at exploring. We're not getting better at being spontaneous. We're not getting better at being open to new opportunities. You can't, you can't be everything all the time in all situations. It's not reality. And sooner or later, we have to decide who we are and who we're going to be. And that means saying, I will have weaknesses. I will have them forever. I will never fix them and they'll probably get worse. And that's okay because it doesn't matter. That's why we have a whole world and a whole organization and a whole family because together we can be well-balanced and well-rounded, but we don't need each person to be that way. It's interesting, David, when you have success as a speaker have success as an author, other people want to share their stories with you. And by doing so, you then start to think about your own work. You start to play with ideologies. What ideology about freakness or the freak factor have you changed, if any, in the last year? Have you changed your opinion on anything that you knew to be true in this area in the last year or so? I think, um, if anything, what's happened is I came into it. This whole thing started with a question. I was in a, I was in a drive through car wash, uh, <laughs> and I was listening to the, the, the now discover your strengths audiobook, Um, and, uh, as I thought about my strengths, I realized that they sounded a lot like my weaknesses and they seemed to be related. And I just had a question. And so it was very hesitant. It was, I wonder if my biggest weakness is also a strength. Not, I wonder if all my weaknesses are strengths. I wonder if everyone has weaknesses that are strengths. I started with, I wonder if my biggest, my most prominent weakness could also be a strength. I wonder if that's true. I just had that question, and that's how this whole thing started. And so I think the thing that's changed the most is not um, throwing anything away. I think the thing that's changed the most is how much more confident I've become in this as a truth in every area. So, for example, a few years ago, I was speaking at an event, and the speaker after me was a Harvard uh, marketing professor who started her speech by saying, if you want to be, if you want your company to be very good at something, you have to decide what you'll be deliberately bad at. And she expected this big, you know, kind of bewildered response from the audience because she didn't know that I had spoken right before her. And everybody was kind of like, yeah, that's what Dave said. Um, and she went on to provide, you know, but I didn't say it about, I didn't say it, uh, my message wasn't about how you run your business at the time. It was about how you run your life and your career and, and maybe manage your employees. And it wasn't even really about parenting and relationships at that point either. And so watching her gave me confidence that this was true for, for businesses and for marketing and strategy as well. I, would, I didn't want to ruin anybody's business by taking my, my personal discovery 
that I knew was true because of my study of psychology. My background's in psychology, not business strategy, you know, and, and, it's, and it's even in business management. I mean, I have a leadership doctorate, but that what that's not, that's not, that's not the marketing side of the business. That's just the managing people side. So I was super confident in the people side of this truth. And then that made me more confident in the business and strategy side. I've since wrote a, written a book called Pink Goldfish, where we, we explore the marketing and strategy side of all that. But then I re I updated the book with chapters on on marriage and parenting, and I, I wrote a kids book because people would, um, you know, for example, actually in Australia, I've spoken in Australia for 15 years, and I've done multi week tours of the country, speaking to youth workers and parents and and teachers and and uh, business owners, and and I, I did this talk in in Perth, and it was my last talk on this one trip, and. Um, this woman came down from from the audience and um, she said, my daughter has dyslexia and now we have hope. Um, and that that struck me because I wasn't speaking to people as parents at that point. The book started as a career book. It started as a, here's how you as an individual find your freakness, find your weaknesses and strengths and, and use them to have a better life. Here's how you flaunt your weakness. And even when I was speaking to business managers and executives and I was talking about employee engagement, they'd come up and say, I have a kid with dyslexia. I have a kid with ADHD. I have a kid with autism. I have a kid who's being bullied. I have a kid, you know, what can you do for them? And so if anything, the, 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 the ideology, you know, that I have has just become uh, more global. And I believe even more strongly in it because I see the truth of it in more and more situations. And I've heard all of the, like you said, not only do people tell you the success stories, but people also challenge you with questions that they think are so kind of, uh, you know, uh, powerful, you know, oh, I bet you never thought about this, you know, so here's why, here's why that's not going to work. And so I've heard all of those and I've answered all of those to many people's satisfaction. And, and it's helped me because I'm, you know, I'm like, I, very early on when this was like a 15 minute talk that I would give in my courses when I was a college professor, a woman said, you know, well, this is ridiculous. You're telling me that I have to quit my job because her job wasn't the right fit. And so if this was true, it was very painful to her because she had a good job, quote unquote, as far as the benefits and the pay. And, but she hated it, but she wasn't prepared to quit her job in order to uh, you know, develop who she was as a person. And she was afraid of that. And, and that was a great question. And so in the book, I, I gave people seven tips on how to maximize their strengths and weaknesses without quitting their job and how to explore those things in a safe way if, if they wanted a more conservative approach and they were afraid of, of quitting. And I certainly never told that woman to quit. That was just the, the conclusion that she got to. And so I've encountered so many of those concerns and questions and sometimes angry responses that and I've just seen so many stories and had people share so many stories um, that that if anything, I'm just just even more confident in, and not so much confident in the sense of I'm right and everyone else is wrong, but to where I'm passionate about this is so important that people need to hear this in all these different situations. I need to share this message 
um, because it's really valuable and it changes, you know, it changes people's lives. Man, I'm really conscious of your time. I've just got one quick question to wrap this little shindig up. I think it was on your website that I read. It said, David has helped organizations on every inhabited continent to raise employee productivity, engagement, and happiness by inspiring audiences to stop aiming for the status quo. My question is, what song would we play to you that inspires you to attack status quo? That's a good question. I think uh, the um, the substance of it uh, probably um, isn't there, but there's a song uh, by a, a band name uh, Chic C H I C. Uh, and the, the, it's a disco song from the seventies and it just says over and over freak, freak out. Uh, uh, le, freak. Le freak. Out. Yep. Yep. <laughs> See, you got it. You got it. Yep. And, and so that's, that's, that's one that I have people, uh, play a lot, but, um, there's, um, hold on. Actually, that's a great question. I actually have a whole, I have a whole freak playlist and it's either songs that use the word freak um or it's songs that um have the right message so um one of them actually i, I was sent to me sent to me by people from um australia so there's a song called freaks by timmy trumpet and uh, the constant line is tell me where the freaks at uh, missy elliott get your freak on uh-huh. um have you got a song by a band australian band called silver chair called freak have you got that on your list I know that song, and that's that's uh, one of my favorite bands. I grew up in uh, in the you know early '90s. Um, that was one of my bands. Um, so, but two of the songs that that have the the message um, and that I play while people do the assessment sometimes is one of my favorites is by Pink, which is funny because I wear a lot of pink. Um, and she says one of the lines. One of the lines is raise your glass if you are wrong in all the right ways, dirty little freaks. And I think that's really, that's the message. If you're wrong in all the right ways, it's being able to see that you are wrong. You are bad. You're not perfect. You never will be. And it's being able to celebrate that imperfection and see that it's connected to a certain kind of perfection, a certain kind of goodness is is related to that badness. And so that's probably the song it's called raise your glass um where it has that refrain um of 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 strength hiding inside of weakness that i really really like uh gary ap just heard the words raise your glass and he's standing in the corner with his champagne glass in the air go ap bit of freak over there talk about talk about freak freak at the voiceover booth um david this has been terrific uh two things i'm going to invite you when you come to australia next uh, we have our own outside broadcast kit. Uh, we would invite you to join us on the promenade of Bondi Beach, uh, on the beach itself, as a follow-up to this, because I honestly have got another page and a half of stuff. We haven't even talked about freaking business, golfish. There's so much more I wanted to ask you about, but I'm conscious of your time. So the first thing is, can we can we do this again? And as, as part of that, if you're in Australia, can we catch up on the beach and uh, have a beer and do this again? We might get Silverchair to play. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got me now. You got me now. 
Fans, fans of the show, hello, the boys. If we weren't in the middle of a global pandemic, I would have actually been on my way to you in a couple of months. And in fact, the next call I have after this, because Australians are so disrespectful of American holidays, <laughs> uh, the next call I have actually in an hour and a half is um, is is a talk that I'm doing virtually for a conference uh, in Australia. Um, and and I would have been doing that in Australia for the third or fourth time I've been there, their MC and their keynote speaker. Um, and, and then I was going to be coming back for the recruitment and consulting services association, uh, conference in September, which been just up the coast from you all. And I, I certainly would have stopped along the way. So I, I definitely think that's a, a, a very real possibility last year at this time, I was, I was, uh, I, I was in Sydney for a day after speaking in, uh, New Zealand. So it is actually, I know downtown Sydney, I know the CBD, um, in uh in sydney uh probably better than i know any american city i could get myself around uh better than i know any american city because i've spent so much time there as like a pedestrian where i'm not normally a pedestrian in the u.s um and so uh uh it's one of my one of my favorite places and i've i've even hiked um uh all around uh the the harbor there all the way out to manly uh from the spit bridge and and all those kinds of things. Um, so I love, I love it. I'd love to join you in real life. That'd be fantastic. So listen, looking at your profile picture on Skype, um, featuring big, thick, pink horn dream glasses and a bright pink shirt. Do you dress like that on stage? Oh, absolutely. I started telling stories about how living with all women, I have three daughters. They're now all teenagers. Um, how living with all women was turning me into one. And it started as just a joke. And then I started dressing more with pink as a way to be a role model of what I teach. Be yourself, stand out, don't be afraid to be different. And uh, it, it started with a shirt and and then on the shoes and then pants and then glasses. And I even have, now I have multiple tattoos on my arm that are pink. So I always have pink no matter what. Um, I have a wedding band that's pink and a watch band that's pink. And um, yeah, so that's, um, that's part of, uh, again, I think, it's unfair to ask people in speeches to do things that you're not prepared to do as the speaker. Um, and so if I'm going to argue that people should find their freak factor and they should stand out and be unique and be different, I think it's unfair if I'm standing there looking like everyone else um, while I encourage them to do that. And it's also ineffective because no one's going to hear that. Um, so yeah, absolutely. That's, that's part of who I am and it's just become part of my identity. If we did this on video, so, I have David, pink headphones that I use for videos and, and everything. <laughs> so, David, where where do we where's the hub for you? Where do we send people to find out more about you, your work, your books? It's drendel.com. So D as in David, and then R E N D A L L dot com. Um, all my videos are there. My my TEDx videos, videos for each of the books. Um, the, the kids book is on video right on the website so that people can share it with their kids, um, without even having to buy it. The, the assessments are on there. My social media links are on there. Um, I have so many friends in Australia now that, uh, my birthday lasts longer because it starts uh, about 15 hours ahead of time, uh, in Australia <laughs> and, uh, it keeps it keeps going. I said, one of my dreams is to start my birthday in Australia and start flying home so that I can have a 38 hour birthday where <laughs> the day just nice. keeps going. 
and going and going. Follow it around the world. Beautiful. Well, mate, thank you yeah. so much for your time. This has been awesome. We will catch up with you at Bondi Beach and uh, it's just been great. I've got so much more I want to talk to you about. Well, let's definitely get it on the calendar, either virtually or in real life. Hello, this is Michelle Gibbings. I'm a change leadership and career expert. After chatting to Robbo and Gary, I am sure that Career Leap is something that they would get a hell of a lot of value out of. Get a haircut and get a real job. The Mojo Radio Show. So doing my due diligence after the interview, uh, kind of noticed that Silverchair Freak had been added to his Freak song list. That's pretty cool. It's very cool. Uh, it's interesting. I, 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 wonder, I wonder how people will, will take away. I mean, this is one of those shows where philosophically super strong, but I love the fact there's actual things we can do in there that we could put. I think, I don't know, did you find yourself, as he was telling that story about his daughter and he said, listen for the strengths while I tell you this negative story, did you find yourself listening and thinking of positives while he told the story, which was quite negative from the mind of his child? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That was really cool. Yeah, definitely. And it, and I also, it's funny because I also pictured myself doing that to my kids and their reactions. <laughs> well, I think it's also your kids. You could do it with your partner. Yeah. But also I'd be, I'd be fascinated to see how that plays out with the, with the football team is they go, typically this kid is late to a ruck, typically this kid is, but instead say, how does that, then the tool is actually how does that play as a strength? In that kid's weakness, where is that strength that perhaps we're not seeing that I could use elsewhere? And I think, I don't know, I think that that whole premise of this interview with David's take on this is really powerful at, at work or at home and within our own minds because we, that, that line he said is, is there a purpose in our weakness? I think that's one of the first steps to play in our own minds and also in every conversation we have that we typically, we see it all the time. Mm. You know, people focus on weaknesses and try and improve them, yet within that weakness there's some sort of strength. And I don't know, I love that contrarian point of view and I think it's a great leadership lesson for anybody to do a self-audit and think about, in his terms, what's good about this bad thing within me. I think he was gold. Gary's 20 cents worth. Just quickly before we go, this whole work from home thing we've talked about a couple of times on the show, (laughs) this is fascinating. Upwork did a survey recently, which you can find online, folks, and they said almost 60% of HR people think that working from home has gone better than they expected. And, in fact, almost a third said productivity increased and less than a third said it had decreased. The other third are lost. I don't know what to do. (laughs) But 62% of business leaders and or HR people plan to offer more remote working going forward. And three-fifths of all US workers who are working from home want to stay home. They want to stay remote because there's no commute, there's fewer meetings, no more. And and this is a cracker. No more listening to your desk mate talk about their weekend Uh or people walking around the office on their phone behind you while you're trying to do deep work. Now, the downside is there's obviously been tech issues. There's distraction with like kids and dogs and whatever, people coming to the door with packages. It's harder with communication because there's no doubt that 
not being face to face with somebody does it does limit the amount you can understand by not seeing someone's body language and their eyes and everything else. However, what they're now saying is that and the Wall Street Journal reported this, is that companies now want to do more of this remote work. They just need to spend time now putting infrastructure in place to get around this. Where this all comes around to me is an interview we did, which I'm not sure if you recall, David Heinemir Hansen, who yes, created, indeed. was formerly 38 Signals, then became Basecamp, uh, episode 171, which was over 100 shows ago. Do you remember that episode? Holy shit, I do. How could you forget that name? Sounds like a race car driver. And he was, wasn't he, from memory? Well, he, and he was. Yeah. Uh, podium at, at Le Mans. He, yeah. um, but what's interesting is we talked about this 100 shows ago, so probably two or three seasons ago, we had this exact conversation about remote workers. And I'll put a link to that show in our show notes for this week. But he said back then, as people are now saying in the Wall Street Journal, that we just need to work out how we do this best. But the other thing is they're saying, and David Heinemir Hansen said in the book Remote and on our on our show, you need to bring people together. So you still occasionally need to bring people together for on-sites where they spend a good amount of time face-to-face before they go back to remote working. And I say this for, for all our, because we've got a lot of listeners across the world who, who run teams and they're all going through this whole work from home thing. This is really quite powerful. Now, the, the upsides of this work from home is that now downtown New York, everybody's moving out because if I don't have to be near the office to work, I can live everywhere. So now they're expecting workers to move out to go to warmer cities with a lower cost of living. So you're going to see office towers. You're going to see public transport. You're going to see cafes in big areas. You're going to see landlords who are leasing out big offices. Perhaps they're going to go through a big change over the next few years, which I find fascinating. <laughs> the other one, which you'll love, which you should look into, is that shares in, I think it's called athlet, athlet, athleisure, what do you call it? Lululemon, what do you call it? Athletic, athletics wear? Athletic- oh, athletics wear, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or leisure wear. wear. Leisure wear, I think the ladies leisure call wear. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you and your brown tracky decks. Well, I've got my Wallabies ones on today. Their shares yeah. are at an all-time high. Yeah, wow. Because everybody's working from home. Chilling out. And you can work, yeah, yeah. chilling out. So, See, the best idea here is business on the top, so a nice worktop on the top, party on the bottom, your tracky decks. I think that's the way to dress. Yeah, I can actually there put some go. stats to what you're talking about. Um, I do a podcast for Telstra, a business podcast. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did an interview with Bernard Salt, who's a really well-known Australian statistician. And he talks about uh, before COVID-19, the percentage of the Australian population working from home was about 5%. And obviously during lockdown, that went up to around 20%. Uh, And the forecasts are that after this is all over, when we're completely back open and back to normal, inverted commas normal, what the new normal will be, uh, that number could easily be be between 10 and 15%. Going forward, looking forward about 15 to 20 years from now, that number could easily, in his words, easily be between 30 and 35% because millennials are looking at this and going, hey, this works, this, I can, we can do this um, and we'll be 
pushing more and more to um, to make it, in inverted commas, the norm. But um, AP, you and I have talked about this on our podcast, the Pro Audio Suite, about the advantages of voiceovers working from home. It's not just the fact that you get to work from home, but there's environmental factors, all sorts of things that are, have advantage to working from home. And they apply to any industry, really, don't they? Absolutely. And I mean, it's really interesting you talk about Bernard Salt and his, his uh, statistics of 5% pre, 45% during, and 15% or 10 to 15% post. Um, the voiceover industry went to 100%, well, pretty well 100% during the pandemic. Wow. And I'm kind of interested, and I, and I do hope that it actually doesn't go back to what it was and we sit somewhere around the – well, imagine if we got 50%. Yeah, totally. What a cha- what a change that would make. What yeah. a change. That's well, 50% of how many voiceover artists around the country, 50% of their cars off the road, what, 6 hours a day you'd be travelling sometimes easily being a voice a busy voiceover Absolutely, artist. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it's a good thing. The Mojo Radio Show. Pop quiz hot shot. Okay, Bertie, AP, pop quiz hot shots. Give me give me the link between these celebrities. Jay Leno, Pharrell Williams, Andy McDowell, Sharon Stone, Pink, Shania Twain, and Seal. Okay, AP, you first. Any thoughts? Um, is it something to do with a kiss? Uh, no. No, not at all, in fact. <laughs> Bertie? They're all divorced. <laughs> Knowing Hollywood, that is probably more than likely true. Although I, don't I reckon think I'm Pink- right. I reckon if you had – maybe not Pharrell, but if you look at most of those people – uh, they are all divorced. Pretty sure Pink hasn't been divorced. She was separated for a little while, but I don't think she's been divorced. No, the link here is that they actually, they all, when they got their big break, they were all working at McDonald's, believe it or not. Uh, I'm not sure they could all credit the Golden Arches with their success to the same extent that Pink can, though. These days, she's one of the highest selling artists in the world and her shows just sell out in seconds. But Pink said in an interview back in 2015 that her days of flipping burgers firstly gave her financial independence. She said that her family, it was important to her family that she make her own money. But she was a drive-through girl at McDonald's and in her words, I had talent and I had a Janet Jackson microphone. I had power. <laughs> but it seems that Janet Jackson was a huge influence on her pinkness in her future life as well. She admitted in the interview to singing and dancing at the drive through window between orders, imitating her hero and imagining herself on stage. And when she went for her first audition in her very first band, she was so nervous, she closed her eyes and imagined she was back at the drive through window. In, and in her own words, I didn't think I was going to be able to get through the first verse, but by the time I'd finished the second, they stopped me and told me I had the gig. Isn't that a great story? So, Robbo, when she got the gig, did she get fries with that? <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, she, I reckon she had a big smile to go with her Big Mac, though. You know, I guess it's a it's a loose connection. But if you go, how do I use that? What's the so what? Pink is visualising her future and dreaming about what she wants which ties back to Carl Maynard from a couple of weeks ago with him visualising being an athlete but visualising it so clearly and then you put in kind of an alter ego but more totems by having the, the headpiece that Janet Jackson would wear that Todd Herman talks about an alter ego. 
it kind of ties a few of those things together that you need to be able to see it and clearly articulate in your mind what you want, see yourself on stage. The headphone little piece makes you feel like you're there. It's a totem. Mm. And But the other thing that I take out of that, not so much just the pink thing, but all those people is that I wonder how many of them remember where they came from in the journey to get there is that anyone we talk to, and we don't spend a lot of time going back to when their childhood unless there's lessons in it, but you think about people like Jay Leno, Pharrell, I wonder how often they go back with the humility to go, that's why I started in McDonald's mm. and I can always end up there. And I think it was Joe Senna, and he said, how bad can it get? You know, I know, I remember where I came from, how bad can I get? I can always go back to McDonald's and get a job. So there's kind of a lot of sort of interesting takeouts in that. Anyway, it's been a big show. We've talked a lot. Let's uh, let's get ourselves out of here. Obviously, we're going to play some pink. What track have you got? Why don't we go direct off David's Freak playlist then and raise our glass to pink? Done. We're out.
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com. And to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.